and welcome to the kitchen table i am justin white i am your host today i am your lone amateur podcast because josh has abandoned me again <laughs> however i am sitting here with captain grant tinker the one and only and he's waving he doesn't realize that he's on radio there's <laughs> cameras and the one and only chris weaver you can you can say hi oh hi guys how are you guys doing today <laughs> And the 14th <laughs> nicest guy on the job. I love that. Dan Knox. Okay. You're here to tell us a story, right? I am. I so am how this all started was um, through a cancer diagnosis um, and a journey through a cancer diagnosis. You decided you wanted to go to the fire stations and tell your story. Yes, sir. Uh, you wanted to help people out. Um through your story, become aware of cancer, the impacts of cancer, and what you could do about it. Am I correct? That is totally correct, Chief. And I just thank you for the opportunity to come and kind of share this story a little bit. And I'm, it's very near and dear to my heart to try to share with what I've learned along the way and hopefully help some other folks down on the line. Yeah, you know, we heard so many good things about it. Um, People had such a positive reaction to it. We wanted to memorialize it. So we wanted to get it on the podcast. So um, people in the future, um, as we all retire and move on to other things, um, will have that as a resource if they need that in the future. So that's that's why we're here. Okay. Thanks, okay? Chief. Appreciate that. So the first question we always start with is tell us about your journey. And this isn't necessarily your journey um with cancer, but your journey that brings you to the fire department and become part of the fire department family? Well, I've just been so fortunate. You know, I was down in a little town called Alamosa, Colorado, volunteered down there for quite a few years, but uh, was able to kind of come up here and test. Uh, one of the first guys I met was Doug Pape. He helped me through the whole process, and I knew him from Alamosa as well. I don't know if he'll admit that, but um, just really helped me with the process as far as getting on the job. I've been lucky enough. I almost got 20 years, pretty close to 20 years on the job. I'm very fortunate to be here for the 20 years. It helped me. It helped my family out. Um, there's, I just feel very fortunate to be on the job and I'm thankful to be on the job. So. so when I said before before we went on air, I said, oh, tell us about your journey. You're from southeast <laughs> New Mexico and you made your way to El Paso. So I was kind of close. You I were, didn't even really you know. You were real close, was, yes, yeah. Al Alamosa. So yeah. we did things a little differently down there, but uh, we've learned. And uh, I can say, Chief, and it's been a good road, you know, and it's uh, coming from a little small town to Colorado Springs, help my family go to, you know, with the high schools and the greater education and it just been very fortunate. So raised in Alamosa? Raised in Alamosa. Born in Alamosa? No, born in Denver actually. Okay, what what brought your family to Alamosa? Why? It's it's it seems to me it's it's um, I don't want to say in the middle of nowhere, but it's a small it community. Is. And it's, I don't know what industry and that type of things, what would draw people there from the outside? What drew us is my dad was an optician. So he had an optical shop up in Denver and he had like three shops up there and with a couple of partners and 
he just kind of got tired of the rat race up in Denver and just all the different issues that were going even way back then. He's just like, you know, I want to go to a smaller town. And he worked with an ophthalmologist and uh, went down there and was a very successful businessman. And uh, we're very fortunate. It was kind of cool raising small town and mm-hmm. lived out in the country. We could ride motorcycles, do whatever we wanted. And, you know, it was, we enjoyed it. It was great. Mm-hmm. So that's what brought us down there and stayed. So is it fair to say you're known for hu- your humility? And I, there's a reason I, for this question. I, I hope so a little bit. Is my that, my so dad taught me would that. Would you say that? Absolutely. Is, is that fair mm-hmm. to say? Yeah. So my question is, 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 is that how you were raised? Are your parents like that? Um, my dad was very humble. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's where I got it from my dad. And I'm trying to, it's been a little hard at times, but trying to teach my son that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you said you're going to teach your son that. Is he looking at the fire service too? <laughs> he is. He is. How old he is. is he? He is 21. Okay. And he's he's doing pretty good. He's going through the process and uh, got his fire team results back. He did pretty well. So he had a lot of good help. Uh, there's so many good people on this job that helped him. So Does he know the shoes he's following? Like <laughs> um, he's got to fill? And <laughs> yes. Like I maintain think so, the but Mock's I think name? He's got a lot of other... I'd like him to be the complete opposite. Like <laughs> he's probably, the meanest person around. <laughs> just be a tyrant? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he might be that a little bit. But, yeah, he's got a lot of people like yeah, Jose Garcia, just one of his true mentors, and uh, had him in high school when he went to college with him. And, you know, Jose just taught him a lot. So very fortunate for Jose. Good. Okay, so tell us about your journey with cancer and how you got this, how you uh, – how you started on this journey, how you realized it. So you tell your story, um, and I I don't know your story, and I'm, okay. I'm kind of embarrassed to say that. Um, so take me on that journey with you because okay. I want to learn uh, as well as everybody else out there. Thanks, Chief. And, and, yes, I do. You know, I'm very fortunate to go out to the stations and talk about this a little bit. Didn't tell a whole lot about my story about there, but I do want to tell a little bit more about it. You know, I've since then I've learned a few different things, and, um, I've kind of got a packet here that I'll be going through and I've tried to learn some things along the way. Um, but my story kind of started out at Station 6. We were lifting a, uh, a bigger person out of the bathroom, a tricyclic overdose. And I had some back pain and you know, I was just like, you know what? This is a good time to go get my back, cha- get my back checked. Uh, prior to that, I was having some back pain and I was kind of pouring some cement at the house and thought I was just getting old and, you know, popping a lot of Tylenol and Advil and just kind of get through the day and I'm like something isn't quite right and we'll kind of get into that later in the broadcast but something wasn't quite quite right so very fortunate you know went ahead and got an MRI got in that diagnosed there and um, the hard part of that is getting the diagnosis of that MRI uh, it said it had metastatic cancer throughout my lumbar spine so that was kind of a rough day um, it's pretty hard to tell your kids hey you got cancer so that was interesting as far as trying to get through that and had great family support. Um, after that, it was just kind of trying to find out what to do, you know, and it's just those thoughts are going through your mind, like, do, am I going to, you know, what's going to happen? Am I going to be just fine? Whatever. Since then, I've done really, really good with my treatments and everything else. I've had very good care and I feel great. I'm working light duty over in the, the art team, so I'm very fortunate. Um, but there for a while, I was a little bit, you know, trying to get with the wife and say, hey, how are we going to do this? What are we going to plan? So we ended up going up to uh, Anschutz up in Aurora, Colorado. Got tremendous care up there. 
um, got a doc that specializes in nothing but multiple myeloma. And he's like, we got you. We're good. We're going to get this plan going. And he had a plan all set out. Every week I had to go up and get two chemo shots in the belly, um, take prednisone, a couple other meds and different things like that. And we just started killing the cancer. So it was some back pain that for that first month. That wasn't as much fun as I don't want to go through that again. Uh, but once we fired, started killing the cancer, uh, it started getting better and getting better. 70% of my bone marrow was cancerous. So that ate away at my spine, ate away at my bones a little bit there. So that's kind of why it was, you know, kind of a little bit painful. Um, every month my markers started going down and down and down and down. So that was part of the treatment. That was great. We're, we're heading in the right way. Um, Dr. Forsby, he's the doc that up there in Aurora, he pretty much told me we're going to have to do a stem cell or a bone marrow transplant. And that was quite a procedure, kind of hook you up to a dialysis machine, take your stem cells out, you kind of hooked up to about all day long, but they take them out, get rid of all the cancer, all the bad stuff, and keep the good stuff. Um, they went ahead and I had to spend 17 days at Anschutz. That wasn't much fun because if there's not much to do in a hospital bed and it's but the nursing staff and everybody <laughs> who took care of you was great they were actually they were really wonderful great. people they were actually very good and we'll get into that a little later but i got tremendous care up there so i really recommend that um so they end up kind of sticking you in the hospital and then they the first thing they think they do is they give you a high dose of chemo and that's to try to knock out the remaining cancer that's left and that was you know, it's just kind of a process through the IV and everything. So I've, I've heard some different stories about it. Um, I went on for about four or five days and I didn't lose my hair. I was still eating breakfast and I'm like, doc, did you give me the chemo? Cause I really don't feel like it. And then it kind of hit me. And then I kind of felt a little cruddy a little bit in the days, lost all my hair. And it was, that was kind of interesting, but in all my white blood cell went down to zeros. So that's what they wanted. They wanted to kind of get all those things down and then they bring you back up. So that was the hard part. I was like, I wanted to go home so bad, but I couldn't. They're just like, you've got to keep, you got to keep you just because the white blood cell count kind of kept me there. So after that, you know, it's just something that I had to go home and I couldn't work for about three months, which is okay because I could piddle around the house and different things. Um, and then finally, my white blood cell kind of got up to a level where I could go back to light duty. So ever since then, I've been working light duty. It's working out pretty well. They've taken, the job has taken very, very good care of me and, and throughout this whole process. So that's kind of how the story is. Just um, have been pretty fortunate as far as my treatments. I've heard some people have had a little rougher times. Um, like I was talking to Weave a little bit earlier. Sometimes I felt like going through some of the administration stuff and the, trying to fight the cancer or going to court was the hard part. The cancer was the easy part. So it's something that... Um, I don't think my wife would say that, you know, because she was worried and she had to be with me every week. She went up there with me faithfully. So uh, enough on that. I mean, if you guys have any questions, let me know. But, you know, it's something that's kind of how it worked out. Um, modern medicine has been very, very good to me. So I feel very good now. Uh, my next step is after about in July when I get done a year post the stem cell transplant, they'll do another bone marrow biopsy then they'll kind of see where I'm at. And right now I take an oral chemo every day, uh, three weeks out of four weeks, and I'm off for one week. Um, so he's projecting that it's gonna be okay for a while. So that's what I'm hoping for. Is that oral chemo 
uh, have any effects on you every day? Not a lot. You know, a little bit of fatigue and different things like that. Uh, but I've, I've been very lucky with, with the chemo. Um, I know some people haven't, but I, I've been very lucky with the chemo. So um, the biggest part of my story is that, you know, I've, I've learned some lessons and we'll kind of get into that now. You know, but on this broadcast, you know, I really want to teach, you know, talk about, you know, what I've learned, the lessons that I've had to learn. Uh, therefore, while I thought we were going to, we was going to have to go with me to court and, and try to fight this a little bit. So I did some research on that. Um, I want to kind of talk about prevention. What we can do is maybe possibly changing the culture as chiefs and captains and soon to be captains someday. You will be. And, and then how we detect this cancer and what I have learned and just some different things. We've, there's been so much talk about cancer in the fire service. So we'll kind of talk about a little bit as far as firefighters and the increased risk on cancer. In, in front of me, I got a, this chart that I gave to all the stations, but it's cardiac versus cancer. And Chief, correct me if I'm wrong, but we used to worry about firefighters dying from cardiac events. You know, it's more like, hey, with a shepherd pie and smoking at the stations and all these different things that we we're killing firefighters. Now this chart says 67% of the LOD from 2002 to 2020 67% of the LODDs on the wall are cancer-related. That's actually higher. Weaver's presentation, you know, in 2019, it's actually 75%. So those odds, you know, three out of four firefighters, it's, they're not great odds. So I think it's something that I think as a group, as a nation, we need to, hey, what is causing all these firefighters to die from cancer? And there's so many different things out there that I think we can try to discuss and kind of help that a little bit. Some of the stats are 40% of the general population will get cancer. I think that's actually a little higher now. I heard an advertisement on the radio that's 50%. So skin cancer, all these different things. So everything that we're kind of learning as far as firefighters and high risk, please take home to your families. My brother got a complete physical blood draw and everything else because of me. Please share this with your families. So it's something that is very important. Uh, going back to the firefighters, we're at a 9% increase in getting cancer as a firefighter. And, you know, just some of these cancers that we get, testicular cancer, we're two times the normal of getting cancer than the normal. 1.5 on the blood draws. And we can kind of see that 1.3 on bladder and all these different things. We're just at a greater increase for cancer being a firefighter. That's part of being a firefighter. It's part of our occupation something I don't know if I want to change. We talked about my boy earlier. Do we really want him to be a firefighter with all this cancer that we know? Yes, we do. He, he has a passion for it. He has a heart for it. And I want him to be it. I just want him to be safe. So how can we learn from that? Um, part of the process, as we spoke a little earlier, I had to try to do a little research in case I had to go to court or different things. But uh, I got a lot of help along the way. Uh, tried to read some different things. and trying to figure out what causes cancer. And I don't, nobody knows. You know, there's a, a Dr. Grace LeMasters. If you do any kind of research on cancer, her name will be there. And she's got a couple of diff quotes, different things that nobody knows what causes cancer. Nobody can pinpoint what kind of cancer we're gonna get. There's so many chemicals that, we're, that are out there that we're exposed to. It's just, just unreal. You just, you can't pinpoint it. So it's something that, as an overall haul, what can we do? Um, I had the pleasure of speaking with a, a Captain Robert Webb from Fort Worth, Texas. He was diagnosed with NHL, but he says down in Texas, multiple myeloma is the cancer of the choice down there. 
don't know if that's a good word for it, but a lot of diesel exhaust and different things that, I don't know if it's their plyovent system or lack of plyovent systems, but some of their older drivers are being diagnosed with multiple myeloma. So he knew quite a bit about it. Um, so I was just trying to learn as much as I could about it. And some of the studies that I wasn't aware of and that I kind of learned going through some of the, the stations and different things, um, we talk about what those chemicals and all those 25, 30 chemicals on every structure fire and how do we measure those. And he says there's a study they did down in Texas. I don't know which university it was, but they would go into several fire stations, some of the busier ones, have them urine samples before they got on shift. And then once they got off shift, if they had a couple structure fires or something like that, they would analyze that urine. So this is something that they're finding out that this there's a, a greater increase in, they call them the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, the PAHs. So just bad chemicals in your body. That's the way I want to look at it. And so these changes were changing the DNA of the firefighters. It was actually changing the chromosomes. So they're four times likelier to have change in chromosomes. Um, and he says that it's the same chromosome change that is related to Agent Orange. So we know what that, that is. That's bad stuff. So the stuff that we're dealing with fire, that kind of makes me wonder a little bit. So there's all these other different stories. There's just recently a 2022 U.S. Department of Homeland. They did another study that I was just kind of looking at. It's a huge study. So if anybody wants to, probably be a good read for if you're very interested in cancer. But um, they did a bunch of training fires. And so they had the furniture in there. They had all the stuff, the bad stuff in those fires. And they analyzed firefighters. So it was controlled settings so they could, you know, check the urine. But then they also checked their breath. The, the VOCs. So they were finding a huge increase on these fires when people were kind of going in and, and then peeing in the cup afterwards. And, you know, with the VOCs, I've never heard them do that. So it's going back to Grace Masters. You know, there's so much cancer that can be absorbed through the skin or we can inhale it. So that's something we've got to pay attention to kind of look at. Um, one stat that really sticks in my mind that if you're say your structure fire, your search, whatever you're doing, your body core temperature is going to go up. If it goes up five degrees, your absorption rate goes up 400%. So that was pretty staggering to me. It's like, okay, this stuff is getting through our gear and, and it's getting, getting to our skin. We're absorbing this stuff. So with all these different things that they're doing, they're finding out these results that we're getting cancer that way, you know, or it could be getting cancer that way. So what can we do to kind of detect that? Um, I did learn through the some of the station visits that some of the guys would say they'd go to a structure fire, had a good structure fire, then the next morning they would go to the gym and then they would go work out or whatever and then they would hit the sauna and they would just smell like structure fire. And so it's like, that's happening to us, that we're going to these structure fires, we're getting this absorbed going to the sauna and still smelling the structure fire. So I think that's real, you know, so we'll, we can talk about like infrared saunas here in a minute and different Maybe things. they'll bring back uh, Agent 17 sauna. <laughs> there you go. You know, and and we can probably talk about that now, Weave. I mean, guys were way ahead of your time. Um, there are Not some, intentional. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go crazy here. Good <laughs> <Yeah>. job, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great. So some of the guys were kind of telling me that um, there's, there's several research articles and, and things about infrared saunas. So I did talk to a Chief Bailey from Madison, Wisconsin, and they have infrared saunas. 
And I said, do they work? And he says, they have a cancer committee and about half of them believe that it helps, half of them doesn't. So, you know, to each their own, however they do that. But that's something that some fire stations are going that way to where they go to a structure fire, they go get their shower and all that stuff and then hit the saunas and try to get as much of those chemicals out. So some people do that for, you know, the real weightlifters and stuff they believe in trying to get some of those toxins. So maybe it, there's something to that. I don't know. Um, when I asked my oncologist, hey, have you ever heard of infrared saunas for treating cancer? He looked at me like, nope. So, you know, it's, yeah. there's not much money, you know, so, so there's, you take that for what it is. So that's some of the things. So a lot of this whole deal is there, what can we do to prevent firefighter cancer? And there's this, and I know Luke's going to get it to everybody, but best practices for preventing cancer. And it's the, the lavender report that several groups came up with. And this is something that, and this is where I need input from you guys because you've actually done it, but where CSFD has done a really good job. Mm -hmm. There's 11 steps here, and I think we've done like eight or nine of them. We've done a, a pretty good deal. Um, I'd like to talk about number one as far as wearing your full protective gear. Um, part of this cancer stuff is, you know, I look back and I had a really good discussions with the investigators. I went to a class with them, and a couple articles I read with fire and investigators is they have to change their culture. You know, and it's something that those guys didn't wear masks ever. They were in there climbing around. They would take their bucket of whatever stuff and put it in the front seat of the cab with them. You know, and it's something like we can't have that kind of stuff. So it's something that how do we change the culture on the fire department here? So, you know, one of the biggest things is staying on air, doing overhaul. Um, way back when, you guys remember, we didn't go on air all the time, and it was kind of that badge of courage to get dirty. I loved it, getting smoky and dirty, and I just thought it smelled good. I loved it. But that's something anymore. That's what causes cancer. Yeah, and I think we're, we are getting better, especially when it comes to the overhaul, you know, knowing that we need to be on SCBA while we're performing overhaul. Where I think we can improve is even after that. You know, because if you smell it, you're inhaling it, you know, with all these carcinogens that are in structure fires, you know, even when your setup is the RIC team, you know, if you're too close and you're smelling it, again, you're getting all those toxins. You may not be in the direct smoke, but you're getting the sense of, you know, the smell of it. And it's not just the smell, you know, what did I say? The, the uh, essence of a structure fire, mm -hmm. you know, is not good. You know, so even after the fact, even after the overhaul, you know, we peek in, you know, we go into these rooms or to mm -hmm. these buildings and we look, we just see what's going on, see what the damage is. And there's studies that say, you know, that a lot of these structure fires are off gassing for several days after the fire's knocked out, mm -hmm. you know, so that's something that we need to consider when we release these properties to homeowners. Hey, just be advised that if you're smelling it, like it still exists, it still exists in the area. And for the investigators and crews on scene that are going in and peeking around, yeah. like, yeah, fire and, watch. And even the drivers who aren't even really in the smoke, right? Right. If I look at all of our big cancer cases for the last 20 years, a lot of them are drivers, yeah. right? They're not smelling anything. They might be a long ways away from the fire. And there's a lot of exposure there too, right? Because they're hanging out next to that diesel exhaust yep. for two or three hours at a time, right? right? So I look at <clears throat> a few of that are unnamed, plus the Dan Knoxes, the Overnessers, mm -hmm. the Aaron Johnsons, uh, the Vitwars, all these these Butch. all these great big 
Butch Gunn, all these big cancer guys, drivers. Yeah. They might not, you know, their exposure might not, not, not have been very, might have been very different as well. Yeah. And I think you guys are exactly right because that study with the Homeland group or whatever, they have it broken down to roles. And there is an increase in drivers even though they're outside. Um, initial attack versus transitional attack. Mm-hmm. There's difference in it's common sense. You're going in and one you're not. So there's a lot to that. And I, I think you're exactly right, Weave. And that's something that I've got to be held accountable for some of this stuff. Please learn from me. Uh, we had a Station 6. We had a refurbished engine down there. And we had a diesel exhaust problem. But I was that guy that that was just part of it. We had a, a firefighter down there that was very concerned about it. And he would hold his breath, hooking up the plyo vent, stand outside. He just knew. Uh, put the bunker gear in the back of the rack. And Weave, I was one of those guys like, ah, that's just part of the job, man. That's that's what I'm going to do. So it's something that please, everyone, be accountable for that. Dr. Sander Orn, I worked with him as far as some of my stuff with my cancer research. He says every exposure could make the difference. Every exposure could t- turn that cancer cell into cancer. So limit your exposures. Please limit your exposures. And, and you're right with the diesel. How many hazmat calls I went on and I'd be – thinking I had to be close to the door so that I could hear better. So I, you know, they should be way back. You know, we talk about wildland fires, dumpster fires, and different things like that. You never know what's in that. Um, I think the guys at Forest, I think about them with the the homeless campfires. We don't know what's in those camps. And that's kind of a pain in the butt to put your pack on, but please do. Please do, because it's something that we don't know what's in those camps and what's burning, and all those exposures add up. And going back to your point, uh, Dr. Sandor says that 50 yards, those hydrocarbons and all those chemicals are going 50 yards. So I think you're going to be looking at where drivers are wearing some kind of protection, different things. So, so yes, please do that. Um, we talk about your decon buckets. You know, mm-hmm. it's something that, um, you know, we we're kind of taught to save air. Once you go out of the structure fire, your front door, you're you're clicking off air. You still have all this stuff on your shoulders. And you're breathing all that stuff. So it's something, please don't do that. Lieutenant Talbot's ta- teaching all the new kids, new, new recruits, go on air in IDLH. Go off on IDLH, you know, once it gets out to the good air. Have those drivers take some responsibility. Get those decon buckets out. Get all that stuff off of them before they go on air. That's an exposure, you know, and that's something I think that's very, very important. I don't know how many times exposures you can get by, get by, get by with, but I I reach my limit, and then it's something that we don't want to do that. We want to, especially all those news folks, get just limit those exposures. Um, have you had any feedback with the buckets? Are they? Uh, we're working on it. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a small price tag to outfit everybody. We're still just trying to trying to get that. I mean, it's just down to down to money, but I think it's I think it's doable. Yeah, and I just talked to a couple of drivers out there in class, and they're like, oh, we don't use them." I'm like, "Please do." So yeah. I hope they do. Expect it if you're inside that structure fire. Let's get let's get those folks deconned. Um, shower within an hour. They say that is greatly important. Um, again, that might be a culture change, Chief. You know, as far as a chief on scene, I know we kind of want to be first in, last out, and everything else. But it's something we've got to get those folks back to the station, get them showered within an hour. I know that's another company coming in, and there's expense and everything else. But we really need to try to get that shower within an hour. Um, the warrior wipes, another thing. I never used those. I thought, I, I'll be honest, I thought they were dumb. Like, why do we got these? Mm-hmm. Now I would carry them in my own personal pack. I would use those tremendously. They say that's 
get as much as soon as you get off of air using those warrior wipes, get all that stuff off of you. So all those things I think will make a difference. Um, yeah, and, and I like to say like we're, especially this summer for, for apes, we're going to be doing a masking pod. And with, you know, the efficiency of quickly masking up to go into a fire, we're also going to really emphasize the importance of how to remove your PPE post-fire. You know, like taking the mask and the hood off with the regulator simultaneously because, you know, and I'm definitely guilty, you know, in that past of taking the gloves off and yep. taking everything off. And the big one that we're finding is the hood, you know. So even after your helmet and mask is off, we roll our hood back. And where does that hood sit? Right around the neck. And it's been exposed to all those carcinogens and all that dirt. And we haven't, you know, gross decom, but it's just right around your neck the entire time, uh -huh. just absorbing and absorbing and absorbing. So folding it out, you know, because a lot of people put it over their collars. That's fine. But fold it outward, you know, don't just stuff it on your neck. So all the important parts about how to take off your, your PPE yeah. post-fire so you're not using your hands, not getting exposed to it. Because yeah. we're just trying to reduce it as best as we can. I just messed up the other day after a fire. Uh, we were hanging out. It was a fatal fire, so we had a bunch of crews waiting. Mm -hmm. And they made me. They had me go get, get everybody some food. And, of course, I went and got finger food, right? Yep. So I should at least set up a washing station or set out some warrior yeah, wipes, yeah. but I didn't, right? That's those little things that we, mm -hmm. can, we could do better tomorrow at, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, all those exposures, if we can just limit those, you know, because it's – you guys still got another – 10 years to go and there's folks out there on the drill ground that have 30 years to go so mm -hmm. limit those exposures best we can um, I do want to talk about physicals a little bit how we can kind of do a little bit better on that and I think people have kind of got the word out that hey we're different people than the normal public we need a different test so there's things that we've got and firefighter medical evaluations that is something that's a little bit more detailed um, colonoscopies and different things like that you used to have to wait till past 50 now it's 40 because we never know when that's going to get we're exposed to all those chemicals and we we definitely need to get some of those physicals and get the proper ones um, blood draws so this is something that i've got a as far as talking to dr cobalt from denver fire she has a list here and goes through breast bladder lung, prostate, skin, stomach, all these different cancer tests that we can get. And it's something, how important is this? And it's something, this is why I'm here today. Um, and it's something that I've got to be self-accountable in my actions that I thought that I was doing fine. I was getting some physicals with the hazmat physicals. Hazmat physicals, I was feeling fine, doing great. I almost prided myself in not having a family physician. Dumb. Please be accountable for that. It's something the city will pay for a physical every year. If I would have had that done, I truly think that I had cancer a year, year and a half before I was diagnosed. It's nobody's fault but my own fault. I should have got a physical. The city pays for it. Why not get that blood drawn? And it's something that I look back on it, and that's one thing that I hope everybody will do because um, that's something if, you know, it just showed that I was anemic. I don't know why you're anemic. There's other people that are anemic and they're fine, but at least go get checked out. And then my next year's had several labs that were off base. Maybe not a lot, but like, hey, go get checked out. So at least a CBC with differential, which City Medical Clinic will do all that, a thyroid panel. Um, they're, they're doing a PSA test and different things like that. So really encourage people to get that done. 
can you go into detail a little bit, or are you willing to go into de- detail a little bit about your, specifically you had some blood draw changes? Can you tell us like what blood draws were different and stuff? Is that something you want to talk about? You know, I, I can. I have no problems talking about yeah. it. You know, the, my first blood draw showed that I was anemic. Nothing out of the norm, just anemic. And talking to Dr. Forsberg and Dr. Oren and all these other things, like, did I have cancer then? They're like, you probably did have the, can- the cancer then. So it's something that if you get some kind of lab that's a little bit different like mine, go get further testing. That's all we're asking. And you might not have cancer. You might be just fine. But get that further testing. The other ones kind of showed my white blood count was down a little bit. So it's something that my first, um, they call different markers, and it was like 5836, 5,836. Now it's like 24. So all these numbers when I had the cancer and stuff. So it's something that, you know, the cancer is just growing, growing, and growing. And I truly believe we've, that if I would have done that, had some self-accountability, I'd still be on the job today. Like, hey, you got cancer. Go take this chemo, get back to the line. I would have been fine. I wouldn't have had to do the stem cell and different things. You know, what got me is the 70% ate away at my spine. If I would have had 20%, I'd probably still be working today. And I missed the job, Chief. I really, please, guys, get that blood draw. I missed the job so much. And I, I love my job, and they're taken care of. But I hate when they see engine one and truck one and roll out the door. So please, get those blood draws. It's very important. Yeah, so they, I, you know, asked my primary care doc, <clears throat> excuse me, about about some of this stuff, and he had no idea what I was talking about. Okay, yeah. You know, and so we're, we're talking about simply getting a physical, uh, but those those physicals can be brief, almost skimmed over rapidly. Oh, you seem fine and, and out the door. Is there a place we can go where somebody's going to know what I'm talking about? I think if you kind of talk to the doctors and kind of tell them that you're a firefighter and you're in increased risk, you know, and I try to practice what I preach. I went and got a colostomy, and and he says, come back in 10 years. I'm like, well, I'm a firefighter. Shouldn't I come back in five years? He's like, yeah, yeah, you should. And some of them won't even start till 50. So it's something that I think you just got to be your own advocate on that, Chief. Mm-hmm. And and we do have this kind of this work worksheet that we can give to people, and we can give that to anybody. And I think Luke will put it on with a the broadcast there, but kind of just some different things to ask. Um, we can kind of get into a, the screening of live screen here in a little bit. Uh, but the main thing is go and get checked out and kind of say that you're a firefighter and you have all these increased chemicals and risk and I think the doctors will. I think that more and more doctors are learning, and I know the city medical clinic is doing more and more for us. So well. the city clinic, obviously, because of Dan, um, I've like, you know, I wanted to get checked out and stuff just because I want to learn about it, right? So obviously, we can do the biometric screening to reach your peak, which is doesn't cost anything, obviously, right? You can actually make money through it, right? But one thing for us, if we go to the city clinic and do our screenings, they at least do some more stuff for us. So, so they'll do a blood draw uh, that includes some of the panels that would have would have tipped off Dan to mm-hmm. his cancer. Mm-hmm. Those, those they're testing for those ones during your blood draw during your yes. your city clinic physical. I'm not saying it's as good as a full cancer screening blood draw, but at least it's a way to start. Again, almost no cost to you, and they also do a skin cancer screening as a part of that. It's more thrilled. We just did that one a few days ago, right? Mm-hmm. But it was a pretty quick 
skin cancer screening, but they were just going for a referral if they found anybody. And uh, so that's the only one I can suggest to everyone, either in this room or that's listening, is go to the city clinic and get just a physical. And they'll do a skin, skin cancer screening for you, as well as a blood draw. And the reason why I brought up Dan's blood draw because he had two abnormal blood draws in a in a row so he potentially had that cancer building up for a long time if we go and get one one physical it helps right but really just like everything else it's like ch- taking a second set of vitals right yeah we need so to get a second a second test done to see if there's changes if things are getting better or worse you know and unfortunately for dan he had that next one that got not better right so yeah. then uh that's pretty significant finding for us all and i think that's that's an important note is you know people like you you may not go in to get evaluated or to get these exams until something's wrong exactly right exactly and i think that's where we are just yep. lacking the messaging yes. of go in now get that baseline like lieutenant weaver said you know we want to see the second set of vitals but we can only compare that if we've got that baseline to compare it to. Now, maybe your baseline is abnormal, but on that second set, that follow-up, maybe it's the next year, that's where you can see the difference. But you have to know what your baseline is. Anybody that's worked for me knows that every year I go in and I get the full deal, the full meal deal. And I can speak on behalf of somebody that doesn't use the city clinic because I live out of town, but my primary care doc, I took in, you know, the list and said, this is what I would like to have done. You know, the PSA, the blood test, mm-hmm. um, you know, the EKG, all, all the stuff, you know, just so I could have a baseline. Now, living out of town, I don't, I, a lot of stuff is out of pocket, you know, or the, the, the copay, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. the whatever 30, 35, $40 copay. But the way I look at it is my return of investment is so high. If I spend yes. $40, you know, to get a stress test or, mm-hmm. you know, $40 to get these more in depth, that is a price that I'm willing to pay as opposed to the consequence. Exactly. You know, and I wish I would have. So, you know, stressing the importance of getting the annual physical, you know, specific to firefighters now, you know, especially for the, the trainees and anybody new on the job. If you just start now, then you've got that baseline. And yes, using the city insurance, using the city clinic is great. You know, if that's, you know, up to you, you know, if that works for you, if you live in town, but for everybody that lives outside of town or has a different primary care, like it's doable also. Right now, we kind of have to you know, single meal deal everything, right? Go in with the list and say, I want this, 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 and this. Maybe someday we'll have that, you know, all-encompassing list where, hey, we go in, this is a firefighter exam, you know, every year. And the docs are like, yep, absolutely. And I I, I hope that that's going to happen. You know, NFPA 1582, we've got really good leadership now with all the chiefs. And I think it's something that hopefully we can make that happen to where everybody gets that. And you're exactly right. If the city medical clinic isn't for you, go to your own doctor. But another good point, too, is that I've learned that as far as Colorado and the presumptive law and different things like that, I had a little harder time finding my first good physical. So it's something, if you get that first physical as soon as you can, new recruits, get that first physical. hope it never happens, but later down the road, hey, I came on the job, I didn't have any cancer. 
So that's something that that's, that's another good reason. That's one of like, so when you look at presentive legislation, there's like several requirements and that's one of them is a, is a healthy pre-employment physical. physical or a, health, a healthy initial physical. So if you go out and get those on your own, it's another thing to have in your pocket, right? So when, when Aaron Johnson or Dan uh, comes in and wants to file a claim, that's the first thing that they look for. So just, to, it'd be like, it's no different than like a, you know, if I, if I have a knee injury, they're looking to see if I had a previous knee injury before I got yep. on the job, right? It's, it's that same type of mentality. So it's something we just have to watch out for ourselves. Exactly. And so it's something as far as that early detection, not only career as a firefighter, but your life. And there's a slide here we call it the power of early detection. And it kind of goes between diagnosed at stage one versus stage four. So as you guys can kind of see, you know, bladder and all these different surgeries. I gotta get my glasses to see this, sorry guys. But like breast cancer, you know, it's 28%, if you get it stage four, 28% survivability. 99% if you catch it earlier. The colon, you know, is 14% survivability at stage four. So why wouldn't you get that checked? It's it's 91% survivability. You know, so there's all these prostates, testicular, thyroid, everything else, all these different things. That shows on the graph is like, go get a blood test, have your family tested, make sure you catch this cancer early. And it's just such a, a difference. Um, I do talk about, in, I talked to some of the classes at the stations, I got a, a good buddy that he was diagnosed with cancer and he was 17 years in New Mexico. And he was a little bit like me, not accountable. We just kind of thought we're okay, we're all right, we're doing good. He ended up having some cancer and it was in like stage three, close to stage four. And it was kind of rectal cancer and it's something that, something we don't want to talk about, but it's something that he had a harder time with chemotherapy and radiation, different things. As far as your cancer, what stage of cancer were you initially diagnosed with? Did they you know, tell you? I, I thought about that, and I think it's more like stage three, something like that. He never gave me a stage. He's like, gave me a plan, said it was going to be okay. So it's something that, again, my buddy, myself, please just get that blood draw, get the, get the blood test. And it's something that I think we're going to look towards that a little bit more. I, I think you're going to see that with the fire department, with the like I said, the Chiefs earlier and that, that life scan, if we could get something like that. I know Grant has been working on it, Chief McConlock's been working on it, and I'm not sure how that's going to happen. It's very expensive and resources and different things like that. But we have Chris Pappas now, and so maybe, maybe it'll happen. I don't know. You know, and that'd be great. But it's something, if I just, a regular CBC with differential would have showed me, hey, you got something wrong, go get it checked out. Not sure what you got, but go get it checked out. So that's something where one of those labs, one of those physical exams, will f you'll fill a lump or something like that. You'll figure out, hey, I've got cancer. Stage one, I'm going to be fine. Let's just go get some treatment. Dan, what do you think could be a cause for people not wanting to go and get these physicals? Or, you know, why, why do people avoid it? You know, I don't know. You know, and it's something I can only speak for myself. I wasn't very smart. I... Like I said earlier, I, I kind of thrived on it. I was on no medications. I was healthy. I was doing good. I could work long hours, you know, and I, I felt like I could be a good firefighter, work hard, and outwork some of the younger bucks, and I just 
never thought about going and getting a physical. Just kind of no, just the feel of not needing. Yeah, not needing. Yeah, and yeah. it's something that I I just never realized that. And Grant, my dad died of cancer. I had a brother die of cancer. Out of anybody in the world, why didn't I do that? Mm-hmm. So it's something that's why we got to change that culture. Is like everybody get a blood draw. Out of anybody in the world, I should have done it. I had family members die of cancer. The percentage and everything else. And I don't know if it's sometimes I've heard some people just don't want to know. I wasn't one of those guys. I was just lazy. Yeah. I was just lazy. And I think that's a big one too is the fear. You know, people I, you, I think just that's turn part a blind eye and, you yeah. know, pretty naive, not thinking, you know, I don't want to know. If yeah. I do have something, I'd rather not know. And, and that's, I've heard that. Mm-hmm. And that's, I've kind of, I try to give that the power of early detection slide to those people like, hey, you know, because if you catch it early, modern medicine, all this good stuff that we have. So it's something that, I don't know, I wish I knew that answer, but we we even, and every fire department's the same in every nation. You know, when you talk to the chief in Madison and different things like that, there's some people that don't want to go to the city clinic. Some won't want to go to their own doctor. Some won't even go at all, even though they offer free tests. They offer free tests for an NFP 1582, and like 65% of the people do it. So I don't know how you make it mandatory, if you can make it mandatory, but um, the city has given us the opportunity to get those physicals every year and they'll pay for it. Um, the thyroid cancer, get that. You know, all these things, you're going to see an increase on some of those. Testicular, I don't know why we have such a high increase on that, but these younger folks, we get, we try to do that. So I, I, there's some theories out there. Yeah, yes. I, re- I really like your uh, – this – this yeah. slide right here about the early detection, right? Because we have a we have a couple of things that we can we can control, right? We early detection we can control. We can by, control by, that. That's mm-hmm. why Dan's here right now. That's mm-hmm. what he's talking about. Is hey man, yep. go get detected, get checked out, right? We have the self control of this thing, and it goes look at your survivability, right? Right. That's what we want to do. We want to be healthy and live forever, and and uh, this really points that out, Dan. And I think it's a great stat. And, we, and it's something that we can control ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Chief McCullough says early detection and risk reduction are like two of the things she really wants to work on this year. And that's something that we all have to be so self-accountable for, right? And I love the fact that Dan's out here trying to spread the word and helping people take those steps and two things that we can make a big difference on. Mm-hmm. And it's huge, you know, and it's something, again, it's something this job is such a great job. I miss it so much. If I just would have done this, I'd still be working today. So that's, I don't want anybody else to go through that. Tell your family members, tell everybody, get a blood draw, you know, and that's, we've, you said it best, just what you said. So I appreciate that. Yeah, and I think to speak what you're, to what you're talking about, Grant, is I think people, it's a scary thing. Mm-hmm. You know, people don't want to face that. Like, for example, Grant knows that I just went and got a cardiac screen and they found something. And, the, the way it was presented to me is like, oh, I'm so sorry you found something. I'm like, thank you for finding it. <laughs> yeah. like, I want you yeah. to find it. Like, yeah. that's why I'm here. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's a big, it's a big scary thing, but it was made uh, less scary because the doctor's like, yeah, we now we have a baseline. It's good you found it earlier. We're going to take these steps and you'll be fine. That's good. You know, that. that type of thing. So you have to get over that, that, <clears throat> that kind of that fear of, of, the big life-changing moment you know and just take that first step and, and go get that test and and maybe they'll say okay but maybe they'll find something and then just say thank you 
Yeah, exactly. You know, because that's, you know, that's, if there's something there, you want to find it and you want to be able to treat it. Um, yes. Rather than just let it keep going and going and going until it gets to a point where it's so bad you notice it and then, you know, it's, it's not as treatable. Yes, I agree. I hope you're speaking okay. to uh, Weaver's point of some of the risk reduction stuff too is, you know, you look around at what we have available to us, you know, the warrior wipes, maybe someday the decon buckets, but the Plyme event, you know, is such a big piece of, of risk reduction that I, I don't think it gets as much credit as it should. Um, I know it's not 100% compliance on people using Plyme events, but that is a way, because you think about the apparatus bay, right you don't use the plime event and all that diesel exhaust just going in and settling where we congregate a ton you know if we're not at the kitchen table we're out in the apparatus bay just talking right and then you think of all our turnout gear you know how do we store our pants you know wide open the the crotch is is exposed you know so you figure all that exhaust or that diesel exhaust is just working its way around the apparatus bay and settling on the inside of our turnout gear. Yes. Not only does it, the diesel exhaust degrade, you know, the, our PPE, our turnout, mm-hmm. the um, outer outer shell, but all that stuff is also we're putting it inside yeah. of our pants now. You know, so the importance of using those plime events is it, it just can't be. When we go and clean the walls at Station One and they're all dirty, yeah, still, you know, yeah, and that's it, right? It's all funny, you know. You yeah. go into these and you look at these dirty walls yeah. and you're like, oh, "That's disgusting." Yeah, yeah, that's killing you yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's kind of what Station Six after that study is finding like, "Hey, we need to get plyo vents." So I think the new engines and trucks that have the DEF, I think that's going to make a huge difference too. But you're exactly right. You know, the doctor Sandra Orrance can like use very interesting. So you had to go up an incline back in and all this diesel exhaust and your bunker gear is right there mm-hmm. you know and so it's something that we kind of be got to be aware yeah, of that. think think about these things it does you know yeah. you think about it and I didn't another firefighter did and I didn't listen so it's something that I think everything's better at sixes I got a new engine down there and but use those plow vents mm-hmm. it does make a difference so where do we go one of you mentioned the list Mm-hmm. For the uh, for the physical, like I don't, I don't. I guess that's what I want more than anything is. Just, well, what's the list? Like I can talk my doctor through this, but what's what's the list? Like I don't know. Like you mentioned CBC with differential. Obviously, that's that's the blood test. Um, so I, I think, don't know that any doctor would be resistant to do this, but they no. just don't know. They don't have yeah. the, the, the material. So if I can bring that to them and say, hey, this is what mm-hmm. I need. I think that's what you were talking about with your doc up in, up in the Denver area. So this medical evaluations, this one has quite a few of the tests that they're suggesting. You know, it's got the cardiogram and all the cancer and some of the things that you let the doctors know that you're related to. Uh, but it has, you know, the CVA and some of the things up front here that uh, as far as the coronary artery calcium, a CAC, I think they call it, at age 40 is what they suggest on that. Um, this is something that actually I think came from Chief DeBay that got it out to Captain Halsey and I think it's very important. There's several companies that have like gotten on board with like they know firefighting cancer is a thing and they they want to they're, they're trying to make money off it right so there's like one test for cancer dot org or one te- one test for cancer dot com there's several places that specifically they run firefighter te- cancer panels right 
and <clears throat> they the cost runs from anywhere from 125 bucks up to like 600 bucks mm-hmm. right and they're testing specifically for the cancers that are increased amongst firefighters so they there's multiple companies out there that are trying to do it right they show up at all these union events and stuff trying to get whole departments to get on board and, and buy their product right but uh, you can get those lists. There's several of them out there of which which tests to have done. Uh, we've tried to partner with different agencies from the city clinic to Auk Health uh, just recently as within the last three months trying to get these tests to be part of. We just wanted to still do our regular physical with the city clinic, but then just get these other tests done that are right. part of these one tests or stuff. And uh, unless we are willing to pay for it, it's not an option right now, right? So uh, we've talked with Auk Health with sure. all those leaders right now, and, and they're just not interested. What's the, um, so I went to the IFF Instructor Development Conference and mm-hmm. was talking to a guy there, and um, he did a test that was offered at PEP. Yep. And they found testicular cancer, caught it real early, not a big deal. What was that test? Uh, <clears throat> I'm not sure which one they did, but they do some like full body ultrasounds right now, and that's mm-hmm. probably the one that they found that yeah. in. Uh, and they, there's multiple companies that do that, and again, that's expensive. Mm-hmm. It's like between six hundred and a thousand bucks per member. Uh, obviously, insurance covers a lot of that in most cases, right? So that's why how they're trying to get it covered. But that's I'm sure that's what it was. They do. Okay. Uh, they've done that full body ultrasound at multiple events from yeah. even I think the fire chiefs conference mm-hmm. and then mo- all the union ones and that yeah. and it's an awesome test but again we can't currently it's super it, hard yeah. it's yeah. super hard to get guys to go and do a, a free physical right so let, sure. you know so I don't know we got to figure out a way but uh, that's where you smart minds will come into a play yeah and I use I'll go to the IFC you know, and I'll, you know, kind of Google and look and see which fire tests are out there yeah. and I'll build my own. Like, that's what I have. If I've got my own list based off of IFC, you know, the cancer network, like I've created my own list um, of a combination of a bunch of different other places like these companies. It's like a menu. Yeah. You know, these companies can give you like this minimum, you know, coverage. Mm-hmm. Here's the test they do. And then they've got a whole section of add-ons, you know, that obviously cost money. Um, and that'd be great if yeah. we ever get to a point where it's like, hey, every year, every year, this company or whatever does tests A through Z. You know, that'd be great. But, you know, Dan and I have talked multiple times of just right now, it's just meal piecing. It's yeah. meal piecing and it's yeah. on your own. You know, we yeah. have to get the message out. We have to encourage people to do it. Maybe someday it'll become mandatory. Yeah. But so. as of right now, it's on you. You know, yep. it's on you to, to do it. But it's also on you to establish your list or have that list that you can take into your primary. You know, my primary knows nothing about firefighting. But the second I say, hey, look, I'm a firefighter. Here's what I'm exposed to. And here's the the dangers and all that. At least my doctor is like, sure, let's do it. it If you need a referral, I'll write you a referral. Is that, I mean, is that something we can provide as a department? Like, hey, here's the list. Like here's uh, here's a list. I would I would I would phrase it as here's a list and add and take away as as you want, mm-hmm. you know. Because if you build 
because like a lot of these things in here, like the colonoscopy, you know, like that is not a pleasant experience at all. But I think it's important, especially, you know, for our profession yes. and as you get Very older, much so. right? But that may not apply to everybody, you know? So I think a list of like, hey, here's a good starting point, yeah. you know? And yeah, you can pick and choose. It's encouraged to do them all, but some of them, you know, it takes time. You know, it may take, you may need a couple days off. I it. certainly don't think you make it mandatory, but it gives a, yeah. Like, I don't even know where to start. So yeah. the best yeah. place to start, there's two places to start. And this is from the UU side, right? Firefighter Cancer Support Network, mm -hmm. right? Yep. You go on there, there's multiple tests that are on there. Yeah. Firefighter Cancer Support Network and IFF.org. You go to cancer awareness and screening section, and there's all kinds of stuff on there, right? Uh, it's, did you, I don't even know if you guys know this, but it's Firefighter Cancer Awareness Month right now. Did you guys know that? Of course I do. Of course you do. Yeah, we all know that. So uh, so this is Firefighter Cancer Awareness Month. So if you go to IFF.org, there's a bunch more resources out there right now, you know? And obviously I have enough stuff I could talk for a long time about stuff, but I definitely recommend to go to that website. And there's a bunch of stuff that's been recently released, right? We have the National Final, the, the Cancer Registry that just mm -hmm. came out. We have just there's a lot of stuff yeah. so I'm gonna leave it at that but uh, I would recommend that because they have a lot of information on prevention and all these things and and yes I read quite a bit of that stuff it's definitely worthwhile going to those sites yeah uh, take a look uh, at the iff.org site there's also a, a cancer awareness training module it's seven modules long talks about and I, the only unfortunate part about it is you have to be a union member to go through the class but it talks about from the beginning of what cancer is, defines cancer, to what to do after you've been diagnosed with cancer is the yeah. last module. So there's these seven modules that walk you from from what it is to reduction to prevention. And then on Dan's case, on who, who to call when you yes. get cancer. There's, a, there's also a, partners with the American Cancer Society. There's an IFF hotline for IFF members through the Cancer Society. So if you do get a diagnosis, you can call this American Cancer Society specific phone number for firefighters, and they're gonna help to start to get you some resources, right? And uh, that was just launched this month too, right? So they're, they're, they have all these things that we have, but nobody knows where they are. Mm -hmm. Well, is that something we can, um, you know, we have all those buttons on Target Solution. Can we just create a cancer awareness button on Target Solutions? where we can consolidate some of this information, your recommended list, and here's some links to the websites, yes. and here's all your charts, and you yes. know, and and I don't think we want to make it harder for people to, to go to, mm -hmm. well, I, I don't know anything about this, I don't have time to, 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 yeah. to do the, the uh, research, so I just, whatever. That's why recently, you know. obviously, I've been sending some like links and stuff, that we want to get out to Target Solutions so that we're going to assign these people some trainings so that way they'll they know where they are because that's the hardest thing is people don't know where to look right so if we yeah. assign some things out there to that and that's why just because it's cancer awareness month like obviously Tinker probably has 10 emails from me right <laughs> but uh with different classes and things that we can go through and get some just yeah. awareness training exactly of of this pandemic right or this mm -hmm. i don't want to say pandemic i Ep guess epidemic, epidemic right epidemic, so yeah. Uh, but I don't know. There's just a lot of stuff. And the the highlight on the union side is to find all these resources for people like Dan, right? Because mm -hmm. Dan's not the only guy going through this stuff right now. There's other people on this department that are going through the same stuff that are 
earlier on in the process that aren't as open as Dan. And uh, man, Dan, the reason why Dan, the silver lining of Dan going through this is I know for a fact he's going to help reduce the cancer in our job, right? And that's why we I'm glad so. he's here talking to us. We hope so. And is there any way we can get this to our civilian folks and like the people at the shop and some of these guys too? Because that's something that I worry about the guys at the shop. They're around diesel exhaust all day long. And, you know, I kind of had to tell them like, you guys know why I'm here, right? You know, and and so I think some of that awareness to, to the whole line and, and the civilians as well, if we could. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, something we can do with the safety committee. I mean... Mm -hmm. What a better thing for the safety committee to, to start working on, you know, as, as if nothing else, like I said, consolidating that information. Mm -hmm. So if somebody needs to find it, find it, they know where to, yeah, at least where to start, yeah. you know, because like I said, I don't, like I, if Grant, if Grant wouldn't have come to training, I'd have never known to get the, the calcium scan mm -hmm. and would not know what I know now and or would not be taking the steps that I am to, to work with that. You know, so it's just, you know, having that place to start. And sometimes that's all people needs is just like that first step. Yeah. You know, because I don't know whether to go left or right. It's a great idea. Straight, straight yeah. ahead. You know, if we can give somebody, you know, a clearinghouse of all the information that's out there. Because if I'm confused, there's going to be a ton of oh, other yeah. people that are confused as well. Mm -hmm. And so what what better effort could we put into, into you know, helping people change that culture and, yes. and change those habits and yes. you know realize the environment that they're in and the risks they're taking and how to reduce that is by you know taking those first steps so what else i just that's about it i just kind of want to get the word out and what's your uh tell obviously we know you have multiple myeloma right what is your like five-year ten-year what what is your Give us your what, prognosis. What's your prognosis looking like? After looking at some of the websites and stuff, I've found out a little bit more about multiple myeloma, and it's 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 hard to say. Cancer, you know, it's a treatable cancer. It's not curable cancer. So we'll kind of see how that goes. Um, I think I'll find out more once I get that bone marrow biopsy and see how that goes. I'm very optimistic. I think we've got good medicine, good chemo, and a good doctor. I think we'll be okay. But statistically it's you know we'll see i mean uh, i don't know how many years that i do have but i'm gonna enjoy the ones i do have and i think eventually it will get me so i think that's one thing that i want people to kind of catch it early you know and 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 be able to to fight it early and, and and take care of yourselves take care of your families and learn and so like chief says change that culture with basically because I've been a part of your process. I know you have a terminal cancer, right? Yes. Uh, what is that? How is your wife? What do you guys, what can we do to help you? Like, obviously, <laughs> we're really good at helping Dan through steps. What What can we learn about helping the others in your life, right? What, what can we do? You know, I've been pretty, pretty lucky because my wife's very strong and she's a very good wife. And um, it was hard on the kids. Um, my son had probably the hardest time. So Jake Schneider had to go and talk to him. Jake's kind of, as a kid, he had to deal with some of that. So he really helped my son through that. I didn't realize that. I thought he was fine. I just He just kind of shut down, and I thought he was okay. And um, he needed a little help. So he got some help, and uh, my daughter was okay. And 
Um, now that we got a prognosis and everything's looking good, I think we'll we'd be okay. Um, but I think just being those phone calls, those texts, you know, people just say, hey, just thinking about you, hey, how's things going and different things like that. A um, guy named Chris Weaver has helped me out tremendously because he's been there with me the whole step of the, you know, the whole process, you know, as far as courts and lawyers and union lawyers and different things like that. So you've been a great help to me. So um, the families, just, just being there for you, you know, just kind of a, a quick phone call, a quick text. So I think that's the biggest thing, and and uh, both my wife and my kids want me to kind of share what I've learned, so that you know that helps. You know, my daughter tells all of her coworkers, "Hey, go get a blood test, get all this done." You know, so that's kind of what we want to get out to the, the to everybody. Can you explain, like, so you're still working, for, for, you're going to still go work to work for CMED? Can you tell, like, can you explain, like, obviously there's some reasons, right? Right, you get a cancer diagnosis, and you, he's still going to work at a different spot right and everybody has these different worlds right and we've learned a lot through like uh chief bartlett and some, we've had a lot yes, of help along the way right? so. but uh why if you're going to take a medical can you tell us why you're still working or why you have to work or can you i'm just trying to explain to firefighters why why you just can't like go and enjoy your time right because i do have several questions on that and it's a good subject i'm very yeah. very open with it but it's something that once i knew that i couldn't be a firefighter i couldn't go throw a ladder put on bunker gear different things like that i needed to work um why be financially yeah. um, because of the medical insurance you know for my wife and my son it's still quite a bit of money it's about twenty two hundred dollars for what i would have to pay every month so that's something that in order for me to kind of you know, it's either have a house and eat or, or pay yeah. medical insurance. So that's something that city was very fortunate, but it's something that I wish I didn't have to work, um, but I do. So one thing that I learned along, I've learned along the way is like, so if you get a cancer diagnosis, it's occupational, right? You still have to pay for medical insurance for your family, right? You still have to have all these other, you don't think about that. Like, oh man, I'm gonna get a medical, I'm gonna make this part of my pay, I'll be okay. And then you're making, whatever percentage before, but then you have to come and find this insurance that he was talking yeah. about for 2200 bucks, and it makes it so you have obviously these problems that you're trying to work through, and then you're like, oh man, I still have, I still have to provide for my family, right? And that was like eye-opening with me for Dan because of his family, right? And I never thought I'd have to worry about that, but it's something that, you know, I went through the FPPA process, and that was fair, it worked out well, but I still got to make up that gap, you know, and that's something that, um, I don't know how many years I have left, but how many years do I want to work? And it's kind of one of those things like, well, that's just part of it. Make the best of it. But So what, what part of your diagnosis um, allows you to work for CMED but not as a firefighter? What is it? The generation of your bones yes, or what? Yes, exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah the de you know, it's something that uh, I was recently just got. Now, I couldn't ever work on an ambulance or anything like that, lifting patients. But with CMED, it's more you you within a SUV and then if we need to lift somebody or somebody that's larger or whatever then we call for more help um, so also pursuing other careers as well um, as far as like maybe a fire inspector as well so I'm learning as I go um, my back is going to get a little bit stronger but the doctor said at my age it's never going to be like it was and that degeneration of the bone is just just part of it and that's something they don't want to 
make it worse by putting you back on the line. I really thought I was going to come back to the line. I really wanted to come back to the line. It just didn't work out. So I'm going to make the best of what I have and very fortunate to have that. Um, but that's the whole importance of this whole broadcast is take care of yourself and so you don't have to get my predicament situation. So. Well, thank you for your time. Sure, Chief. Thank you for appreciate having that. Me, so. Is there anything that you say at the station that you didn't you didn't think of today or didn't didn't bring up? No, you know, it's something that I just really appreciate the guys at the station, and 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 it's it's a brotherhood, and that's something that I miss so much is those breakfasts in the morning and talking and giving each other grief and what are we going to do today and stuff, and that's one thing that please cherish that. Please cherish every day that you have at the fire station. You know, because I don't even remember my last alarm. So um, that's okay, but just take care of each other. I don't remember my first one. <laughs> that's how <laughs> memorable that. it was, right? So, uh, but yeah, so thank you for having Absolutely. Having. Thank you to Chris Weaver. If you have any questions, um, whether you're a un union member or not about yes. cancer and all this stuff, please call Chris. Um, if you have any uh, questions about um Preventative care, um, Grant is very good at that from cancer to, to heart issues to whatever ails firefighters. He does very, very well with that. He's very, uh, very approachable. So please get a hold of Grant. Um, all the information that Dan talked about in the podcast today, we're going to attach to uh, the Target Solutions activity um, that you can you can watch the, the video version of this. So if you need to, you listen to it on in your car and you want to come back and get some of this information so you can see what he was talking about, go to the Target Solutions activity. It'll all be attached there. So thank you all for your time. You, Again, Chief. this is, you know, our self-help series. Um, so it's not just drug and alcohol addiction. It's, you know, health-related stuff like cancer and, and mental illness and things like that. So... Thanks for coming out and talking. Like I said, we talked about vulnerability earlier, and, and being vulnerable helps other, other people be vulnerable, and maybe someone will, um, even if just one goes out and gets yes. a physical, and yes. uh, whether they're diagnosed or not, uh, rest uh, rest well that you help somebody and yes. you help somebody overcome those barriers and into to maybe getting some help. Yeah. So well. thanks, everybody. Thanks for your time, and we'll catch you next time at the kitchen table.